0: What's going on, everyone? Welcome to this week's episode of Total Pod Mode, number 80. My name is James, also known as Mr. Bames, and I'm joined, as always, by Will, also known as WhoDaFunk. What's going on, guys? Coming up this episode, we have a Microsoft update, and then trailers. Two trailers of differing levels of excitement, before rounding out the episode with Completionist Corner and our continued adventures in LA as part of LA Noir. But before all that, let's hit the socials. You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pod Mode.
1: We also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode.
0: You can also find us on X by searching for at Total Pod Mode, all one word.
1: Or you can find me at whodafunk on X and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash whodafunk.
0: And you can find me on X at MrBames and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash MrBames underscore or TPM. So let's get straight into it with our catch-up. What have you been playing this week, man?
1: So this week, I've been putting a lot of hours into Helldivers. As promised last week, I was going to get some real hands-on time with this game.
0: Nice, the sequel delivers to the prequel.
1: Absolutely. We are now well in the midst of our war against the Terminids and the Automatons. And I've got to say, I've been having a really good time so far getting in on the battlefield and figuring out what this game's all about.
0: Very nice. And how is it playing? How are you getting on with the gear system as your class that you were describing last week?
1: So the main different abilities that you'll be unlocking in the game are actually called stratagems and those are the things in the game that you need to cool down by placing a beacon or throwing a beacon on the ground and through that you can access loads of different kinds of weaponry and things that will help you along the way. Um, So far I've unlocked something called a dog uh, which is a backpack ability and you have like a flying drone with a gun attached to it. At the moment I've got the one that can shoot a laser beam but you can get one that just fires regular assault rifle rounds as well.
0: Okay and when you say backpack ability do you mean you pick up backpacks to hold more loot and they come with innate abilities or is it something different
1: yeah that's pretty much it you pick up this dog stratagem and you attach it to your back it flies out and just hovers around you but that is your backpack slot used up right i see there's other uses for your backpack slot you can use it to hold additional supplies and ammunition one of the abilities that i've got is a ballistic rocket launcher and that's really useful but it's a single shot thing you can get a backpack that allows you to hold up to five or six more shots so you can be constantly reloading. But if you want to fire more shot with a lot of heavy artillery, then you need to be using a backpack that goes along with it. And other than those weapons, uh, you can also access sentry abilities. Uh, I've got like a cannon, a machine gun, even a mortar sentry as well, which is really useful for taking out nearby bugs and other enemies like the robots.
0: Cool, man. And and what would you say your favorite weapon is so far of all the ones you've used?
1: Probably that recallless rocket that I mentioned earlier. That's been one of the ones that i've found really useful for taking out some of the harder enemies uh especially some of the heavier armor plated bugs in the game they can be really tough to deal with uh they all have weak spots and every enemy in the game does have a weak spot but with these guys it's typically just all of their rear portion that they rarely expose to you
0: the shiny bit right
1: uh it's kind of orange yeah i guess it's more lit up than the rest of them typically yeah it's not quite glowy but uh yeah you can get around them by them charging at you and you can do a dodge ability in the game get behind them and get a few shots off but the most effective way to do it is to attack them with some sort of heavy rocket or explosion and that will break off the armor plating and expose the inside so you can do a lot more damage and create a load more weak spots around an enemy that normally has loads of good protection very cool and there's a wide variety of weapons in the game they come in three classes you've got your primary which is typically an assault rifle or a shotgun or an smg or some other weapon like that your secondary which is always a pistol for the most part you can get fully automatic pistols regular pistols revolver pistols all sorts of different weapons
0: same you can't have an smg as your secondary That'd be a nice touch.
1: No, but the SMG kind of does take away your primary and put it in the secondary, so you can have two secondaries if you have it in both. Because typically, SMGs are a one-handed weapon. And because it's a one-handed weapon, like in other games, you move faster. But it also gives you the ability to run away and kind of fire over your shoulder while you're running away. That's quite cool. Whereas if you've got an assault rifle, you can't really do that without turning around and facing them. And that slows you down. Use your
0: thumb. (laughs) Just over your shoulder. That doesn't work very well for podcasts. Apologies.
1: (laughs) But the added benefit of being able to do that with your primary and still do quite a bit more damage is really useful the only difficulty that you come into there is you'll be reloading a lot more often. Nice.
0: And talk to me about some of the game modes, man. Is it just sort of all free-for-all PvE stylings or is there some multiplayer aspect as well?
1: It's fully integrated multiplayer. And the thing that I didn't really touch on last week is the fact that this is a whole ongoing galactic battle that's taking place. You are the humans in the centre of the map and you're being attacked on the right by the Terminids and on the left by the Automatons. And there's various planets and fronts that are being attacked... And the different planets that are currently being attacked are playable planets in the game. So as the game goes on and different aliens will start attacking different planets, ones that you couldn't access previously will then become playable. And that also goes the other way. If you've fully liberated a planet, then it will be no longer playable because there's no reason to go back there until it's next attacked.
0: Okay, so it's kind of like a persistent world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And every player is doing their part by 0.0001 of a percentage or something like that. But at the end of every mission, you do get it tallied up to show what impact you've made in the total liberation percentage of the planet. That's kind of cool. And you'll also notice that as the game plays out, there will be certain events and things that will occur that will change factors in the games as well. So I've been playing on some of the harder difficulties and with that comes a massive increase in terms of the amount of difficult enemies that you have to fight. It's not so much like traditional games where the enemies do more damage and they have a lot more health because that all remains the same in the harder difficulties. But the game does just flood you with a lot more difficult to deal with enemies. Waves
0: and waves of elites rather than normal mobs.
1: Pretty much that's it, yeah. Along with environmental factors like uh, there will be massive fog clouds and things that reduces your ability to almost nothing. So you can barely see in front of you while it feels like a soundstorm's happening around you in terms of visibility. On the map that I just played before I got off and we started recording the pod, it was very much like that. It was almost like being in pitch black night. You could see shadows and vague shapes of bugs in the distance, but it was actually quite scary uh, if it weren't for the amount of payloads and explosions that were taking place. I've also just unlocked a 500 kilogram bomb, which is like a bit of a mini nuke that goes off in the game. And that's Cheeky very halftime. cool to watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, And there is a massive selection of airstrikes and things that you can call in in the game. And the environmental destruction is very good. Complete lines of trees reduced to ashes and cinders uh, when you call in the larger bombs. And I think that, that environmental damage makes a huge difference in terms of how you perceive just how powerful all of these weapons are that you can use. Picking up that 500 kilogram bomb and clearing out a tree line is is pretty huge.
0: Yeah, fuck the bugs. I'm just going to kill the trees.
1: i mean it does happen sometimes because you need a clear sight on something
0: oh yeah so just use your 500 kilogram bomb just hey i just wanted a better view yo
1: well the cool thing about all these abilities is they're all rechargeable and fully unlimited after a short cooldown so you really do have as many of these airstrikes and things as you want at your disposal
0: well, yeah f- it be wasteful then yeah may as well
1: you've got napalm strikes air barrages strafing runs orbital laser cannons it's all at your disposal in this game it's pretty awesome oh yeah there's even something cool to help bomb that you have to use on one of the side missions and it's a manually detonated bomb that you need to call in from the sky like everything else in the game and when it hits the ground you type in a quick key code to use it and you just need to clear out the area as fast as you can because that one's probably the second biggest explosion in the game that you can create
0: nice just wipe everything out in like a three mile radius. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, Maybe not quite so much uh, that in terms of space, but you will take out a small base or something like that entirely. And it has a lot of uh not just trees and things that get damaged, but big craters that form in the ground and it all gets disturbed and looks blown up. It's a really good effect. They've clearly spent a lot of time in terms of not just the blood and guts in the game and blowing off bug limbs and robot pieces, but also just how much damage and shock and awe that you can inflict upon the landscape as well.
0: <laughs> nice. Does that extend to buildings too? Has it got good destruction
1: physics? Absolutely, yeah. There's plenty of destruction in the game. Even some of your lighter arms can take out smaller structures in the game but you can reduce buildings to absolutely nothing as well, especially with that hell bomb. That is one of the specific missions you need to do, which is just to destroy every structure within a certain vicinity. One of the other cool side missions and how you create the biggest and most awe-inspiring explosion in the game is to activate an ICBM panel. And those aren't particularly useful because they don't actually take place within your session. But when you do launch the missile, you'll see it disappear off into the distance. And as I say, it is an ICBM, so it's designed to fly a long way away. But when it does explode, that looks like a full-on nuclear explosion going off in the distance with the whole blast radius impacting all the clouds and smoke around you. The graphics in the game are probably at their best when you get to see that sort of thing happening and the shockwaves of explosions traveling. It's really impressive stuff.
0: Yeah, really cool sounding.
1: Another really cool side mission that I like in the game is one where you need to load up these rockets and you will find these large artillery positions of the game where there will be a selection of rockets on the ground. Some of them are mini nukes, some of them are incendiary, some of them are smoke even and you can load it up into a nearby cannon and throughout that mission that then becomes a new additional stratagem that you can use based on the shells that you were loading in previously. So if you've bother to scrounge around and find all the mini nukes you can then have a bunch of mini nuke stratagems at your disposal even if you didn't go into the mission with them
0: okay handy
1: and at its core something that i really didn't expect before i got into this was the fact that there is such a heavy emphasis on this being an extraction title in a similar vein to something like dmz uh which is something that i played quite a bit in call of duty
0: yes and something that you thoroughly enjoyed
1: i did and i'm really enjoying that aspect as well in this the whole necessity to make sure you get out alive with your squad at the end of it when you go into a mission, you can pick from four slots, which have your stratagems, and then you also have a booster, which is the equivalent of like a Call of Duty perk in terms of how it can impact the gameplay. But after you've completed your main objective, you get the opportunity to extract, or you can stick around for a bit and do the side quests that are available, blow up a few more bug hives or robot factories. And when it finally comes time to extract, you do get hit with like a large wave of bugs. But as long as everyone's able to pull together and use all their stratagems effectively to hold off the waves, you're able to extract. And with you, you can take all of the resources that you can find in the game to upgrade your ship. You can take back money that you found in the game. And what's really cool is you can even find premium currency in the levels and take that back with you as well. So if you've recovered that in the game you can slowly work your way towards not actually having to pay money in the game for premium items and those credits seem to be coming in at a fairly decent rate i've already unlocked three premium items so far in the game which is pretty decent going how many hours uh i think think i probably put in maybe about 20 25 hours now so far okay that's not bad there's maybe six or seven premium items that spawn over a period of a certain amount of days so you can kind of pick and choose and if you don't like anything there then you just know to save whatever ones you scrounge this time around for the next run of stuff that appears in the shop but there is a whole system that you can do where you unlock weapons separately of that as well there's a premium system that you can spend real money on and buy from a select few items and then there's a war bond system. Where there also happens to be a premium war bond system as well, but that one doesn't necessarily mean you have to spend any money. In fact, you don't need to spend any money on that premium war bonds at all. It's just more exotic weapons that cost more unlock points. It's a bit weird, it's a little bit scuffed, because on the surface it looks a bit like battle pass progression, but it is actually just how you unlock your weapons. But that aside, and once you've gotten used to that, you do quickly realize that. Actually, this game gives you a lot of options to get the premium items without spending any money and it doesn't take that much effort to finally unlock a decent amount of customization for your Helldiver.
0: So you can get yourself sorted pretty quickly without having to spend real money if you don't want to. Always good.
1: Exactly, yeah. I think that this is a really good game and it could have a potential to be too much with the microtransactions, but I think that this seems to be in a good place right now. I hope it stays there, honestly.
0: Yeah, it sounds like they've got a good balance at the moment. Fingers crossed they don't fall into the trap of wanting more money. money
1: Before we wrap up, one thing I definitely have to say on this is I've had some real problems throughout the week actually connecting to the server on this. And I think this has been a huge problem Uh, worldwide even, for Helldivers everywhere, (laughs) and that's because the servers are just generally massively overcrowded. I don't think they were ever initially built to handle uh, this amount of use and abuse, and it's very frequent, especially in the early days, that you just wouldn't be able to connect to a game for that entire evening. Because it's an online-only game, you just can't connect, you can't get into the game, you can't play. Diablo Syndrome. Yes, it definitely has, definitely, an air of Diablo, for sure.
0: Yeah, not ideal. But who knows, maybe it will go the way of Diablo and the servers will be dead by now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope not. Um, I can see that the community in this game seems really good. I've had some really good times just playing with randoms in the game, and that can definitely speak to some of the longevity in certain games, as long as the community is solid and there. Even if it's slightly cult-like, it's still there (laughs) and people will stick around and play
0: it. That's the main thing. As long as you've got folks to play with.
1: Side note, over the last couple of days, it has gotten better. Uh, it's just been earlier on this week so I was I was very sad earlier on but after getting a few levels under my wing and a few new weapons I'm feeling pretty good about this game now. Very nice.
0: Long may it continue.
1: But that's really all about me this week man, what about you? So what I really wanted
0: to come and say was yes I finished borders Gate 3 this week and then we could talk about that for a bit but something happened that I wasn't expecting but I just needed to act on it. Okay. And I'm sure as a gamer you appreciate this maybe not with this game specifically but you'll appreciate the emotion behind it. I just got this absolute absolute hankering for skyrim
1: all right okay <laughs> overcome with urges to go pretty back much to skyrim. yeah fair enough i think
0: there was just the occasional skyrim sh- was showing up on my youtube shorts and i was watching it and thinking oh yeah this is jokes Ha, ah, very funny and then i just sort of got that itch to play
1: have you met any lusty argonian barmaids no
0: well i met the one argonian barmaid that i think there is <laughs> <Did> <laughs> some she missions for her. she lusty particularly I, I helped her get married
1: oh okay of. well i mean that's kind of was lusty Lusty enough to get married, I guess.
0: Lusty for her boyfriend slash now husband, yeah. It's one of them, like, standard Skyrim quests where it seems lazy. He's all like, oh, yeah, I really want to get married. I love her so much, but can you go find me three flawless
1: amethysts, please? Right, okay. It's
0: it's like, oh, mate, well, you couldn't be asked to do it yourself, could you?
1: Mm, There'd be draugas out there and bears and other things.
0: To be fair, I did also, like, hustle this lady. As part of the Thieves Guild questline, you have to shake her down. So she doesn't like me anyway, even though I helped her with the wedding. (laughs) But,
1: hey. This is, uh... <laughs> doesn't sound like Skyrim when you're talking about it, I gotta say. This is a far cry away from the legend of the Dragonborn.
0: Ah, all, It's all in Skyrim, but <laughs> it's not modded. To be honest, I haven't, I haven't actually even started the main quest yet. I've just uh, just been doing my usual thing. I'm not sticking at level one, but I'm just going around doing all the side stuff, doing the guild quest lines. I've already done the Dawn Guard DLC because I wanted the infinite horse, so now I can climb everything. It's great.
1: Is that just like a stamina bar thing? Does your horse have a separate stamina to you?
0: So I think it does have its own stamina bar, but no, when I say infinite horse, you can unlock a um, a summon horse spell basically. All right, okay. As part of the Dawn Guard DLC.
1: Fine. So by infinite, you more kind of mean infinite lives. You no longer have to worry about your horse getting killed or anything like that.
0: Exactly, yeah. Shadowmere is going to, like, leave eventually. It's going to happen. Right, okay. So you can't rely on him. So why not have a summonable horse right from the start? Now, Shadowmere's got a lot of health, though, so it takes a lot lot to kill him, to be fair. But it can happen.
1: And you only just need to resummon him whenever he dies. There's no just disappearing act that he pulls.
0: Oh, you can't resummon Shadowmere. When he's dead, he's dead.
1: Oh, right. Okay, okay. So he's not quite infinite, then? He's not as infinite as... Uh...
0: No, I think you're getting twisted here, man. is the the horse from the Dark Brotherhood questline. The whole oh, right, horse okay. I'm talking about
1: is Arvac. Right. Oh, fair enough. Okay, I, I have no idea what my Skyrim's about. I, I've dabbled.
0: Fair. Sorry, I probably confused you. <laughs> but no, so that's been really fun. But then I also put a little bit of time into Neo randomly
1: oh really okay you're kind of reaching back into previous games
0: it kind of i feel like because george is playing neo 2 at the moment and he's talking about it it kind of got me like oh i want to i kind of want to play neo but i thought i'd play neo 1 again first and yeah just really haven't put much time into that but that's just fun completely ruining my strategy to go play lords of the fallen because now i'll have neo muscle memory
1: (laughs) you really do need to uh pull up your socks and uh play that lords of the fallen i'm keen to hear what Actually, happens in that game. What it's all about.
0: I feel I covered a little bit of it when I played eight hours or so before. That's basically what's in the game. But yeah, I've only done like two bosses.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there's much more that's worth hearing about.
0: Uh, Nothing's really calling me back to it though, apart from the sort of sense of loyalty that I need to play it because I haven't finished it yet, and that's concerning to me. But I will probably start again because it's been so long. But I will get to it at some point. I'm not going to get back into the old habit I have of starting loads of games and finishing none. Despite well, how this week is sounding, oh yeah, I didn't finish Baldur's Gate, because uh, I was playing f***ing Skyrim, but despite all that, I will finish borders Gate, and then I will finish Lords of the Fallen at some point. But that's really all I've done this week, apart from uh, Elaynoir, which we'll get onto later. So with that, we come to the end of the catch-up, and it's time to move on to this week's gaming news. So with our first news story this week, the future for Microsoft gaming has been revealed. Sort of, kind of,
1: not really. Okay, so this announcement that we were waiting on has been a little bit disappointing.
0: Well, basically the announcement was what we covered in the speculation, <laughs> right? Okay, as you'll
1: yeah. sort of see when
0: we get into it, but it's kind of weird. So following on from said story the other week about Microsoft announcing that they had some exciting news about the future direction of their gaming division, all was revealed on the 15th of February, annoyingly just after we'd recorded last week's episode, so we couldn't cover it then. And when I say all it was revealed, what I really mean is Phil Spencer just said some stuff.
1: Okay, well, I mean, it's to be expected.
0: Yeah, so in looking at what was covered, the headline is actually pretty much what we covered before. That four Xbox-exclusive games will be coming to the PlayStation 5 and the Nintendo Switch, although the games in question are still not yet disclosed. I
1: have heard that Sea of Thieves has been confirmed. Has
0: that now been confirmed, has it? Yes, yeah. Fair enough. Sea of Thieves, that's decent start
1: yeah i mean uh, how old game still gets very regular updates though still better than skull and bones say, Hey, if you're looking <laughs> for a fire game and uh you want to get into something on playstation 5 then sea of thieves could be your answer
0: exactly it's actually a really good fun as well i fully encourage you to check it out
1: <laughs> maybe this is more of a catch than we're uh maybe we're underselling actually it's one of those games that's really good but you never play it you need to have a solid group of friends that play it really yeah. or or you know, have a really good community around it, which sadly I don't think Sea of Thieves has. Helldivers, great for playing with randoms. Haven't had such a great experience playing Sea of Thieves with randoms.
0: I've never played with randoms on the same team.
1: No, (laughs) we just get bullied by randoms. (laughs) Exactly. It's
0: just not nice. They're just unkind. So, okay, apparently that game is huge and we're really underselling it, but... um... Other than that, the other games are still as yet undisclosed, as far as I'm aware at least. However, an Xbox memo released just before this big announcement may have shed some light on their future strategy. To quote some of this memo obtained by The Verge, When we look at the state of our medium, we see players increasingly gaming on multiple devices, but their experience is defined by the fragmentation created by platform silos. Multi-device players have to navigate multiple identities, entitlement, libraries, communities, wallets and reward programs. Similarly, the industry's biggest franchises increasingly ship across multiple devices, requiring creators to build and manage multiple instances of their games, leading to higher costs and fragmented communities.
1: Oh man, sorry Phil, jeez, wake me up when the news happens.
0: (laughs) All of this friction creates a tremendous opportunity for us to meet the needs of multi-device players and creators. We have a different vision for the future of gaming, a future where players have a unified experience across devices, A future where players can easily discover a vast array of games with a diverse spectrum of business models. A future where more creators are empowered to realise their creative vision, reach a global audience, unite their communities and succeed commercially. A future where every screen is an Xbox. This is a future where Xbox is everywhere, consistent with our promise to empower players to play the games you want, with the people you want, anywhere you want.
1: Now we've been doing a lot of underselling. Uh, on this news item because you said that phil spencer said some words that that's a lot more than some words that's a lot of words
0: yeah but he said nothing
1: he said a lot of words but ultimately said nothing
0: exactly it's kind of like with eve Gimo last week right you're saying a lot of things in there that is basically you saying yeah we want everyone to play xbox and we kind of want it everywhere like we've always said so it's disappointing Because we got all excited about the potential of streaming and what all that could be. And and really, he's just said, yeah, we're just doing the same thing we've always done. But now we're just letting others use our games as well.
1: Nothing even as specific as confirming an Xbox app or anything like that, giving any sort of release date or deadline or confirmation of what we can expect and what formats we can expect to see it in. It's just nothing.
0: Sadly, it really is nothing. You know, So uh, perhaps not the groundbreaking news we initially thought it would be. More of a doubling down on things they've been saying for a number of years. The only difference now is that uh, they're mentioning other rival consoles in the same conversation getting some games. But really, that's uh, a lot smaller of a step than I was expecting them to make with this announcement.
1: And sadly, that does seem to be the biggest thing to come out of this.
0: So moving on to our second news story. And this one is good news. We like this news. As you probably all know, we're very excited here for the release of the Shadow of the Erdtree DLC for Elden Ring, and we finally have a trailer and some dates and an idea of what it is.
1: Uh, I've been looking forward to this news for a long time, man.
0: So from one story where we didn't really learn anything to one where we finally did learn something. As I've just said, the release date for the long-awaited Elden Ring DLC. So the DLC is due to release on the 21st of June, 2024, and in the trailer, released this week at the time of recording, We get an idea as to why this DLC has taken so long to arrive. We're getting a new world, as we've previously speculated might be the case. So the DLC will take place in The Land of Shadow and will feature new enemies, new bosses as well as new armour sets and weapons, and presumably weapon arts and moves as well. In the trailer it suggested that the DLC will cover the story of Mikola, brother of Millennia, which should give fans of the series some closure. All we have seen of Mikola at this stage is a limp arm hanging out of an egg in Moog's boss arena, and not a lot else. Outside of this however, much is still unknown about what to expect in the DLC. One thing we can confirm is the price, with the DLC being available for pre-order on Steam at £35 or $50. Quite steep for a DLC but potentially worth it given the apparent scope of what the trailer showed us. So Will, let's talk about it man, what did you think of this trailer? We got to see some cool sht, some potential bosses. There was some stuff going on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the bosses that I really liked the look of was the giant, uh, like kiln flaming thing that looks the Brazier. like. A bunch of- yeah, the brazier, yeah, the brazier <laughs> is like boss, a giant yeah. standing brazier giant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very cool looking, and apparently the, the cinders inside are just bodies. <laughs> that's the uh, the kindling that's going on inside. Very cool looking boss. Uh, I'm always a fan of fighting like a, a titan sized boss in these type of games. I think that they hit a pretty good balance in Elden Ring of not having too many of them as well. But I'm happy to see one in the DLC. It definitely lends to a bit more of the variety that we're hoping to see.
0: Exactly. And speaking of that variety, the the thing that caught my attention the most was actually a mob enemy or what looked like a mob enemy the giant sort of snaky worm thing that kind of leans over and eats your body
1: yeah 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 that looks really fun that seems like an enemy straight out of bloodborne i think in terms of design it really reminded me of something that could have absolutely been in bloodborne
0: yeah i can see that it's not too dissimilar to the um the mind suckers when they're sucking your mind
1: i like the way that it just kind of swallows your character half though (laughs) it's it's pretty cool
0: visually it looks very impressive as Elden ring did anyway the new world um looks remarkably similar to the old world in some aspects but i'm not sure if there's some flip-flopping going on because you do see things that look like um the castle in the game, various field vistas that all look like um, the places you travel around in the overworld. But then there's some places that are much more shadowy, much darker, and there's some areas that look completely new. So interesting to see how it's all going to work.
1: I suppose in the lore of this game, uh, this is a a part of the Lands Between that has since for certain reasons been disconnected and no longer is a part you need to travel through a portal to to get to so i i guess that it makes sense in some ways that it looks quite similar i'm hoping to see a couple of new environments and new looking things in the game as well but you're right a lot of the things that you do see look like it will be an additional area but it does look like familiar ground to some of the places that we've played in before
0: i'm hoping it's like the old hunter dlc and bloodborne where you essentially have the same map but it's just kind of messed with and changed enough that you're like oh hell yeah this is cool
1: I'm actually not hoping for that, to be honest with you, just given the length of time that we've been waiting for this and the price tag as well. For me, I'd be really happy to see a brand new areas and things like that in the game instead.
0: Oh no, that's coming as well. But I mean, it's the bits where they look similar. I'm hoping that that's what it is rather than they've just copy and pasted it.
1: You might see a twisted version of something. Yeah, fair play. Yeah, yeah.
0: There's definitely got to be new areas. They've been developing it for like two years. There's got to be new areas.
1: The castle that you mentioned previously is definitely a new castle in the game, which to me suggests one at least least large dungeon area. I would hope for a couple large legacy dungeons and then obviously a good scattering of other dungeons in the game. Uh apparently there's something like 10 plus new bosses have been confirmed, which is cool to hear. I might have hoped for that number to be a little higher. Ten plus bosses? Doesn't really sound like that many when I think about it. Yeah, but this is
0: Elden Ring mate, 10 mainline bosses plus this means that's the ones that you're meant to fight to complete the DLC. Probably all sorts of nonsense in the dungeons and on the overworld and stuff.
1: I hope so, yeah.
0: Probably twenty three. Some of them might be repeats but i imagine there'll be more than 10 bosses
1: oh i'm sure overall yeah 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 that's that's probably why they put in the, the 10 plus figure but it'll be interesting to see what they've done another boss that i like the look of was a big lion head enemy in the game that looked like it had dark smoke attacks as well as electricity i think i saw it casting at one point that looked very interesting to fight
0: yeah that's actually the one that i liked the look of the least oh really yeah because it just didn't look very like new or original but it still looked fun and it will be because it's FromSoft and they make great bosses.
1: It looked very much like a FromSoft boss, I'll give you that. Yeah, it was almost like instantly recognizable.
0: It reminded me of the first boss of the Dark Souls 1 DLC.
1: Oh, okay, okay, fair enough.
0: Like the Guardian, it's just a giant lion that has lightning attacks that jumps around and like dives at you. It reminded me of that. That's what I mean when I say not original. I could be completely wrong. We only saw, like, what, five seconds?
1: And they have said that there is a boss that is supposed to rival the difficulty of the Millennia boss fight in the game, and I have a feeling that's probably going to be our red-haired, what appears to be an antagonist that we've seen in the trailer. And I've heard that this character is actually not, in fact, Mikola, and it's a character called Mesma. Okay, interesting twist. Probably a demigod from similar lineage, you'd have to imagine, given the uh, the trend of red-haired characters in the game. The character does say a line about something about mesmer but i didn't get it from my initial watch that so they were actually referring to themselves
0: yeah i i thought the the, the at the start it said i am Mikola, so i was like oh, sweet, yeah it's Mikola.
1: i watched a couple breakdown videos of the trailer to try and make sense of some of this and uh, apparently this is uh this is the going theory anyway oh,
0: Fair, that's way more in depth than i went i watched the trailer i'm like cool that looks sick and now <laughs> i can't wait
1: to play it and the trailer was just full of a bunch of cool glimpses uh, environments other than that for the most part. We saw uh, an old dude yanking a sword out of his head. That looked pretty horrifying. And uh, some really cool, scenic, picturesque, in a weird, Elden Ring horrifying way environments. It was cool stuff.
0: Lots to look forward to. So how can we top that excitement? Well, well we can't. But our third news story is that uh, the Borderlands live-action movie trailer has also dropped. Not quite as exciting for me, this one, but I do love Borderlands, so worth talking about, I thought.
1: Do you think you'll go out and see this one, or maybe even just stay in and see this one? (laughs)
0: No, I might might stay in and see it one day. I won't be paying money to see it, like, in the cinema and stuff. (laughs) So the Borderlands movie trailer has finally dropped, giving us a glimpse into what we can expect from the upcoming motion picture. For the most part, it's probably exactly what you're expecting. A star-studded cast. <laughs> Shout-outs to Jack Black as Claptrap. That's going to be interesting. Lots of guns and explosions and a good dose of zany humour. However, according to an article from Game Rant, some fans have already picked up on a potential issue. The issue in question is that franchise favourite Tiny Tina doesn't seem as fun as she does in the games. So for those that don't know, Tiny Tina is a relatively insane, mechanically gifted child who enjoys nothing more than cracking wires and blowing shit up. All around the stack plant the stalker chased the bandit the stalker thought twas all in fun pop so quoting the article from Game Rant, While the character fits the archetype and acts the part in the trailer, most fans aren't satisfied with the aura the character gives off. This is one of the many problems director Eli Roth needed to avoid with Borderlands, but the initial impression has fallen short of fan expectations. While some found it hard to explain the issue, one fan summarised, I think it was a combination of dialogue and body language. She had batshit insane facial expressions, the eyes specifically, that really sold the unhinged over the top dialogue and characterization for me. I like that just don't exist in real life
1: that is true i think that there are some parts of this character that would be hard to capture and depict in a live action movie because she is quite comical in in certain ways and cartoony um much as the art style of borderlands so there are certain things that are going to be hard to reflect but i can sympathize as well with some of the feelings in this, that the character of Tiny Tina wasn't captured in this attempt of it. It seems like a different, more reserved I guess, Uh, and reserved probably isn't the right word to use, but like a a, a peeled back, slightly, a toned down Tiny Tina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe some of that was for the fact that people would be expected for her to be a key character in a movie that's probably going to be two hours long. And I probably don't speak for a lot of Borderlands fans, but personally, I found Tiny Tina quite grating. Um, I felt like her... Doses in the game weren't too much, but I never stretched out to play the Tiny Tina Land's Wonderland game because I don't feel like I could deal with an entire game narrated by that character.
0: Make it rain! Nah, I'm good. I understand. I don't agree, but I understand. I really do. She has a very, very specific voice that could get on your nerves if you listen to it long enough.
1: I find it grating, and, and maybe that was the, the the direction they took from this um, for the changes to the character.
0: Well, the thing is, it's going to be hard, man, because you can't really capture the essence of Borderlands humour in any live production. Like the characters, because it's from a cel-shaded game, they're all over the top. They're all insane. And any live action version is just going
1: to be really hard to do. So surprising a live action movie even exists in Borderlands, honestly.
0: Well... Doesn't quite exist yet, but soon. And uh, while we're talking about it, what do you think of the cast, man? Do you think they've hit it out of the park? We've got Kate Blanchett as Lilith. We've got Kevin Hart as Roland. Jack Black as Claptrap, as I mentioned. Jamie Lee Curtis is in it.
1: So as you said before, I think that this is absolutely a completely star-studded cast. But I think my major gripe is I genuinely don't think that any of these characters have been well cast. And I think maybe that's just part of an issue with this tiny, teeny character as well. But for me personally, I don't think that Kevin Hart is going to be a convincing Roland.
0: Completely agree.
1: I just think that Kevin Hart is not going to be able to pull this off. I don't think that he suits him in terms of his stature, in terms of his voice. In terms of the way he sounds, the things that I saw Kevin Hart perform within the trailer didn't have me convinced at all that he was going to be able to pull off the Roland that we know from the Borderlands series.
0: Me neither. And like, you just don't buy him and Kate Blanchett being a couple?
1: No, that is very strange. Although I think that they have kind of focused on the first game in this series a little bit more. So maybe they're not a couple just yet.
0: If it's got Tiny Tina in it, that, she only came in the second game. It's a mishmash, I think. I think they've just got it all sort of mushed together.
1: I still agree with your point, though, that it's harder to picture them as a couple because of the age difference between Kevin Hart and Kate Blanchett, as well. Respectfully, I think Kevin Hart's in his mid 40s, Kate Blanchett's in her mid 50s. So I just feel like for the characters themselves, they don't actually suit those either. Because Lilith is certainly not 55 in Borderlands 1. And with respect to Kate Blanchett, she looks a little old to be playing as Lilith if we're taking it on face value of this is the Lilith from Borderlands 1 or even Borderlands 2 or 3 for that matter.
0: You ageist f***.
1: (laughs) I'm just saying that a 30-year age difference between the character and the actor that's playing them can put up a bit of issues.
0: Hey, it's just fiction, man. How'd
1: you know Lilith's not 55? (laughs) You just... I don't really get that vibe from Lilith, I can't lie. And I also... I don't think that Jamie Lee Curtis is a terrible casting for Patricia Tannis, but the way that Patricia Tannis was portrayed in that trailer doesn't seem to align with the character that I know and love from the series at all. That was a character that I really quite enjoyed for her weird, detached and sad sometimes even sadistic approach to uh, her experiments uh, and helping out the character in the game but jamie lee curtis seemed to portray her as not quite that or not at all that in the trailer
0: yeah it'll be interesting to see how it all goes the trailer did look weirdly okay But just in my opinion, I just don't know if it's going to be that good. It has the potential to be really cringe, I think.
1: I agree with you. I think that a lot of the action scenes we saw, getting glimpses of the guns and the vehicles and some of the characters and enemies in the game that we're used to seeing, that's going to really help to sell the movie because the action sequences did look okay for the short bits that we did see from the trailer.
0: Yeah, I'm just i not sure how it's all going to... Fit together, but uh, I guess we'll find out when it comes out. Still no release date, but uh, something to maybe look forward to. Who knows? So, with that forced optimism, we do come to the end of the news for this week. So, now it's time I think we move over to Completionist Corner.
1: Here we go for the Completionist's Corner. Corner.
0: Corner. We pick up the story of Cole Phelps having just been promoted from a traffic detective to a homicide detective. To celebrate this, Cole and his traffic partner, Bukowski, are taken to the Blue Room Jazz Club by Roy Earle, the vice detective who stopped us from arresting one of his informants in last week's episode. It is at the Blue Room where Cole is introduced to a couple of new characters, namely Elsa Lichtman, a German singer, and Dr Harlan Fontaine, a clinical psychiatrist. The introduction is brief, however, as soon after, the game progresses and we begin our time as a homicide detective with our new partner, Rusty Galloway. Real name, Finbar.
1: Old Rusty. This is a character that I've got kind of mixed feelings about in terms of a sidekick. I want to like Rusty for what he sort of resembles, which is an old, gruff homicide detective that's seen a lot of s*** and is tired with life, but he's also really hard to like because of a lot of the problematic things and opinions that he has.
0: Yeah, and as we've just heard, Will doesn't like old people, so it gonna always going to be a hard sell to have Rusty as our partner.
1: Yeah... <laughs> The first case we are given is to investigate the murder of a young lady called Celine Henry, whose body was found up on a hill overlooking LA. Upon inspection, the body shows signs of blunt force trauma to the head, and the torso is covered in lipstick spelling out the message, "fuck you, The body also appears to have had jewellery, in this case a ring, forcibly removed. Further inspection of the crime scene reveals size 8 male footprints leading to the body and a lighter for a local establishment called the Bamba Club. This is a very fancy desk lighter, isn't it? It's like a goddamn Resident Evil... Puzzle. Lighter. It's cool.
0: Not very practical, but a nice touch.
1: With the new Bamba lead now established, Cole and Rusty leave the scene to check out the Bamba Club.
0: At the Bamba Club, Cole first talks to a temporary barman called Garrett Mason, who offers a little insight but points us in the direction of the club's owner, Dick McColl, for more details. McColl tells us that Celine and her husband Jacob have been having marital problems, and that Celine had left the club with another man the night before. Whilst he wasn't able to positively identify our potential new suspect, he was able to confirm the license plate number of his car provided interrogation questions are answered correctly, of course. Cole puts in a call to Detective HQ to trace the license plate and find out who owns the car, before heading to the Henry residence to speak to Jacob.
1: Cole and Rusty arrive at the house, but there is no one at home. A quick search of the house reveals that one of the side windows has been broken. Clear signs of forced entry. We also discover empty jewellery boxes and a note on the fridge from Jacob Henry. It provides an address for him and states, If you sober up, you can find me here. As the pair leave the residence, they have had a brief conversation with one of the Henry's neighbours, who confirms that Celine and Jacob had been arguing a lot recently, further cementing that the couple were definitely having marital issues. The conversation ends and our detectives head to the address from the note on the fridge to confront Jacob Henry.
0: A quick search of Jacob's apartment shows evidence of a death threat note having been written, with Cole using the classic technique of shading a pencil over a used notepad to make any indentation show up as writing. A pair of men's shoes are also found in the bedroom, however they are size 11 rather than 8, which kind of makes it look like Jacob isn't our guy here. We interview Jacob, who is being very cagey, especially when pressed about the death threat note. After the interview concludes, our perp is angered by comments from Rusty and initiates a fight. Like last week, our partner takes one shot to the gut and is completely incapacitated, couldn't possibly <laughs> help us.
1: They are definitely taking a fall there and just like, nope, no, I'm out, I'll I'll let the Marine deal with it. Fucking rusty. Lazy shit.
0: So it is of course up to Cole to slap the taste out of this fool's mouth. With Jacob now subdued, Cole phones the agency to have transport sent to collect Jacob and is also advised that the car McCole told us about is registered to a man called Alonzo Mendez. His address is provided and we head straight there.
1: Mendez is not at home as the detectives arrive, so they let themselves in to have a look around. In the bedroom, we find a pair of size 8 shoes, a wrench stained with bloods, and a used lipstick. All signs seem to be pointing to Mendez being our killer, although Cole does mention that it is very strange that everything was just left out in the open. As the pair exit the bedroom, Mendez arrives home and are chasing shoes. Cole eventually catches Mendez, and he is arrested for the murder of Celine Henry. Once again, no thanks to fucking
0: Rusty. He doesn't do anything in this chase. No,
1: he always makes some sort of excuse, like he's going to go keep the engine warm in the car or something like that.
0: Or his classic, I'm just going to go have a drink, you do that.
1: Yeah, 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 you do leave him alone in a bar. You really should stop leaving Rusty alone in bars.
0: To be fair, he has a bottle of whiskey in the office, though. He's just built different. <laughs> but so the case has been solved, so the cue victory music, right? You'd think so. But over the course of the next four cases we discover more young women being murdered with very similar calling cards being left, namely blunt force trauma wounds, lipstick messages on the corpses, rope marks around the neck, and evidence of jewellery being forcibly removed from the victim's body. Every case has a thorough investigation and someone is locked up at the end of each one. However, the murderer remains at large despite the efforts of Cole and Rusty. Side note here, you do actually have a couple of options to pick who goes away out of two choices. And that's quite an interesting moral decision sometimes. I clocked after the first one, I think, that everyone was innocent and something else was going on.
1: It was the fact that every time you solve one of these cases the evidence is just left well out in the open and obviously discoverable and there are just certain cases where the evidence is way too circumstantial and hearsay to whether really nail someone down a lot of the acting in the game definitely suggests that these are just innocent guys that have been really shocked it seemed like you would have to be too much of a good actor to, uh, to fake the shock of uh, your wife being murdered like that. And I was getting this weird sense of wanting to pull back at this point in the game because I just felt like I was kind of wrongfully convicting people.
0: Whereas I was playing a heel, call, so I didn't give a fuck. I was just like, yeah, go in prison.
1: <laughs> charge everyone. <laughs> Can I charge them both? It was a conspiracy. And <laughs> that's the list.
0: So the other thing that's interesting is throughout these cases, the real murderer sends the detectives messages made from newspaper cutouts and extracts from Shelley poems clearly showing that our murderer is educated and enjoys toying with the detectives. This culminates in the final case of homicide where our detectives go on a treasure hunt of sorts to track down the real killer.
1: What did you think about this? This this went on for me a little too much. A little too many stops along the way for my liking on this mission. (laughs) I agree. This treasure hunt is born from Cole having an epiphany when reading the messages from our killer. Using the Shelley poem extract, he is able to deduce that our first clue will be on a fountain in a public place. Sure enough, Cole and Rusty find one of the missing pieces of jewellery from our victims, along with another Shelley poem extract, a clue to the next treasure.
0: Yes, and this is where it drags.
1: Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, too many stops along the way.
0: What are some of those stops,
1: Will? Throughout this treasure hunt, we visit many LA landmarks, the tar pits, museums, and even the movie set we fought our way out of in last week's episode. At each location, another piece of jewellery and poetry extract is found. Our hunt culminates in a church where our serial killer finally reveals themselves, none other than Garrett Mason, the temporary barman we met in our first homicide case.
0: Genuinely quite shocking, that one. Didn't think it would be him.
1: No, that was very out of the blue, wasn't it? Yeah.
0: Exactly, a nice seed that was planted right at the very start. I thought that was quite nice. But before a firefight can break out in this church, Mason escapes down a secret passage behind the church altar into the catacombs, locking it on his way so that we can't follow our detectives find another entrance in the nearby vicarage, and Cole pursues Mason into the catacombs while Rusty calls for backup and just jams at the top of the ladder.
1: Naturally, he's in his—he's uh, his natural. He probably found a bottle of whiskey tucked away somewhere in the church. Sadly. Exactly.
0: it's probably there. Blood of Christ and all that. And uh, this kind of is a boss fight, but not really. Uh, you sort of run down in some tunnels. There's some—it's kind of like Mikolash. He talks at you and then shoots you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually failed this one the first time I did it because I was trying to be tactical. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. The second time I. Did it it was much more effective to just sprint up to him and then when he's reloading just shoot him a bunch and he dies
1: it was slightly anticlimactical for me in that sense because i just rushed him down immediately it's what i've discovered in a lot of these sections you can end the mission quite early in, in certain cases uh just by making sure that your headshots are on point
0: so as we say eventually cole catches up to mason and guns him down finally putting an end to his killing spree so surely it is now time to cue the victory music
1: right surely
0: again you'd think so However, Captain Donnelly arrives on the scene to piss on Cole's parade. Because Mason is the half-brother of a high-ranking government official, the identity of the killer will remain under wraps and no one will ever find out about how Cole and Rusty caught this serial killer. The corruption rearing its ugly head once again.
1: And the case just gets thrown out as of that.
0: However, the police force recognise how well Cole has done, so he is promoted to Administrative Vice and is partnered up with none other than Royale. who to thank thunk it?
1: Which sounds on paper like an amazing promotion, but really is, is clearly designed to just keep Cole's mouth shut. It's like, yeah, yeah, forget about that, Cole. Promotion, promotion. Fame and glory.
0: Exactly. Very lucky man. It's almost like things just fall in his lap. Epic
1: foreshadowing. At this point, we're going to take a quick break from the main narrative to discuss revelations about Cole that happen in various flashbacks between our cases. We mentioned last week that these flashbacks were showing us snippets of Cole's former career as a US Marine. Well, throughout our playtime this week we are shown more context. Cole is the lieutenant of an information gathering unit who get caught up in the thick of combat against the Japanese. Jack Kelso, our squadmate, who was consistently scoring low in aptitude tests that we mentioned last week, is much more of a fighter and is able to save Cole and his unit multiple times, adding to the already existing tension between the pair.
0: These flashbacks end with Cole seeing one of his squad explode in front of him, killing the squadmate on impact but leaving Cole miraculously with not a scratch on him.
1: That was poor, unfortunate Merrill from uh, last week's episode. The, the Three Stooges and... Uh... Meryl was no more.
0: Oh, is that who it was? It was Merrill. I didn't clock who it was. I just
1: thought it was a guy. Oh, you know no, it was Merrill. It's one of the
0: bros. Oh, shit! Even worse.
1: Yeah, way worse. Damn. It was his buddy he went to training with.
0: Oh, I genuinely didn't realise that. I just thought it was some <laughs> dude. That's jokes. That, that actually makes it a lot deeper than it than I thought it was. It's still deep, mind. Cole is eventually found by Kelso, playing dead in the explosion crater. Despite being a lieutenant, Cole had hidden from the combat like a coward, certainly not like a war hero that he's portrayed as. Tensions between Cole and Kelso are further exacerbated by Cole being promoted and branded as a war hero simply for being the commanding officer, even though he'd hidden like a coward. Some senior officer just comes up to him and is like, you're a damn hero, son. I'm going to (laughs) promote you.
1: Am I the only one here that can relate to Cole? It's like, if I just saw a dude get blown up, I'm staying in the hole. No, I'm not leaving the goddamn hole, okay? I mean, yeah, that would fuck with you. You now, can't make me. I'm <laughs> staying
0: in the, <laughs> the fucking hole. But what makes it worse is that Cole accepts the promotion and the honours without so much as even saying, yeah, I literally did nothing. <laughs> he, just, he just takes it. And all of that is much to Kelso's chagrin.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. Part of me feels like he was just completely shell-shocked. I mean, he still had bits of guts on him at that point when he took that. I don't think he was capable of proper speech. <laughs> He's just in pure shock.
0: Yes, I I think that he's probably been severely affected by this event. (laughs) And from that moment on, it was no longer the same Cole Phelps.
1: Back to the main narrative now. We begin our career in vice by being tasked with looking into the deaths of two musicians. Surely this would be a homicide case, you might be thinking. However, the deaths were caused by the ingestion of government-grade morphine, making it a vice case. The morphine in question was being distributed by a local food cart, taping the morphine to the bottom of popcorn containers. Cole interrogates the food cart worker, which leads him and Earl to a musician booking agency and a bookmaker, both of whom have supplies of morphine and other narcotics hidden in bespoke furniture pieces delivered by a company called Ramez Removals. Before heading to Ramez Removals, we learn that the main distributor of the morphine is a man called Larry the Think Finkelstein who happens to be brother-in-law of one of LA's top crime bosses, Mickey Cohen.
0: Cole and Earl explore the Ramez Removal Warehouse and follow puddles of water to a refrigeration unit at the back of the warehouse. Inside are blocks of ice containing boxes. Cole shoots one of the blocks to get at a box, and sure enough, the box is full to the brim of government-grade morphine. With this new information, our detectives head to the source of the ice, the Polar Bear Ice Company. At their facility, we get into a large shootout with Fink's cronies before eventually cornering Fink on the balcony above a giant freezer. Cole shoots Fink and discovers the motherlode, a huge fuck off case of morphine. It's like a pallet. Another case closed and government-grade morphine taken off the streets. A job well done on all counts.
1: Well, you might be thinking another case closed, except it really isn't. In a similar vein to the homicide cases, even though the main suspect has been dealt with, the supply of morphine does not slow down. The continued investigations into the morphine supply eventually bring our detectives to the scene of a grisly murder at the 111 Club. The club had recently been purchased by a former Marine and one of Cole's ex-Squad members, Eddie McGoldrick, but the new owner, along with another two musicians, were brutally murdered inside the club. An inspection of the premises reveals more morphine, a crate of Valor cigarettes and three Browning assault rifles all of which had been stolen during an army surplus robbery aboard a ship called the SS Coleridge. The only lead we have to follow at this stage is a ticket to the Blue Room Jazz Club, so that's where our detectives head.
0: Side note, SS Coleridge sounds like a nice
1: drink, doesn't it? Sounds delicious. It's what color is it? What color is that drink? A
0: bright red, like grenadine red.
1: Bright red, really? I was gonna go for more like a kind of like a, a teal or something like that, like an aqua teal. Oh, you're teal thinking of the or cool, like the literally blue razz, cool. Yeah, give me some of that. To me,
0: it's because I think it's because it sounds like Kool Aid.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I and Kool Aid's bright yeah, yeah, red, yeah, yeah, like hot racing red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Both sound delicious.
0: At the Blue Room, Cole interviews Elsa Lichtman and some other musicians who are rehearsing for the evening show. Not a lot is learnt from our time here, however, after the interviews have taken place, Cole and Elle part ways for the night and, instead of heading home to his wife and children, Cole secretly tails Elsa Lichtman home and enters her apartment. Could our upstanding detective be having an affair?
1: Yes! yes he could (laughs) that's exactly what he's doing
0: even though it's kind of weird that he stalks her first and you have to do it you have to follow her home
1: yeah yeah I wasn't sure whether there was some sort of unspoken like you leave first and then I'll follow after five minutes type of rule there that was the impression that I got I'd rather lean on that one rather than no he just follows her home uh, just so he knows where she lives now
0: I think that's probably more the case because I think there's a random ambient conversation that Ray and you can have where he's like oh yeah I know you've got hots for the the German singer
1: that said it was the 19 1940s, so I think that following a woman home from her place of work And knocking on her apartment door Because you've got the feelings for her Might have actually been socially acceptable back then
0: But because she's German and it's in the Second World War It's not
1: Right, yeah, yeah, yeah Flirting with the enemy
0: so, yeah, so controversial, potentially If you care about that sort of thing As we've described, it certainly looks that way It certainly looks like our man Cole's having an affair here And uh, unbeknownst to Cole Earl had actually followed him And seen him enter Elsa's apartment More on that later
1: Back to the case, and the next logical step is to question Mickey Cohen. He is a crime syndicate leader, after all, and surely must know something about his brother-in-law's drug operation. Cole and Earl head to the Macambo Club and sit down with Cohen and one of his associates. Cohen denies all knowledge of anything, but is acting suitably suspicious about the whole situation. We have no evidence to go against his word, so we leave him be for the time being, and return to the police station to cross-reference the stolen goods we found at the 111 Club, against what had been reported as stolen from the Coleridge. A quick look at the burglary department's logs show that all the items we have found indeed come from the SS Coleridge, possibly explaining how Eddie McGoldrick had come into the money that allowed him to purchase the club. Before we can pat ourselves on the back, though, we receive an urgent call to deal with a sniper who has been shooting at a public bus.
0: And uh, his sniper accuracy is a lot worse than Phelps's pistol accuracy. Yeah.
1: You know. <laughs> kind of
0: weird. After dealing with the sniper and finding a hit list on his body, Cole and Earl talked to the bus driver, a man named Felix Alvaro, who also served with Cole in the marines. From Felix, we learnt that the Sixth marines had indeed stolen the goods from the Corridge, specifically being told that the plan was masterminded by Courtney Sheldon, a fearless field medic we have previously seen in some of our flashbacks. We are also advised that Jack Kelso, our nemesis, is involved in this, although not directly with the theft itself. Knowing the personalities involved, Cole makes a call to Police HQ to get Kelso's address so that he can be questioned. Kelso is picked up outside his apartment and taken to the station for questioning. After a rather awkward interview, Cole and Kelso clearly still do not get on, we get the impression that Kelso truly did have nothing to do with the robbery itself, but likely knows more than he is letting on about the situation in general. Knowing that Kelso will never rat out his fellow marines, Cole lets Kelso leave and shortly after, our detectives are called to another shooting at a local diner.
1: After a brief car chase, the diner shooters are disposed of by Cole and Earl, and on their persons we find a notebook recording a meeting between Courtney Sheldon and Mickey Cohen, alongside a copy of the SS Coleridge's shipping manifest. Our detectives are called to yet another shooting at a local post office, and after a quick gunfight, we find the bodies of two more ex-Marines. One of the pair, Walter Beckett, says his last words, Tell Courtney bad luck which further cements Courtney as our prime suspect for the theft. A note in the other marines' pocket gives details of another meeting set up between Courtney and Cohen. After a brief detour to a theatre to take out the last of the hired gunmen tasked with taking out the marines, our detectives head to the meeting place detailed on the note we found.
0: As Colonel and Earl pull up to the meeting point, they see Cohen driving away and a large gunfight ensues. After the fight, the detectives are notified that Courtney Sheldon has turned himself into the police station to be interviewed. Very convenient, isn't it? As Cole and Earl arrive back at the station and enter the interview room, they are surprised to see that Courtney is being accompanied by none other than Dr Fontaine. Remember him from the very start? What is he doing here, I wonder? Well, to answer that, we have to discuss something that has been going on in the background during our playtime. And what this is, is it's kind of a collectible system in the game, but also seems to be acting as kind of an overarching narrative plot point as it turns out.
1: Yeah, if not that, then certainly the stepping stones to one of the larger or perhaps even the conclusive case of the game. Yeah,
0: exactly. So I believe there's 13 newspapers you can find in the game and to this point, I think we've got eight maybe nine I forget how many exactly but we're around that sort of mark
1: I mean I'm not entirely sure that I've got them all but I think that I have so I was sitting around eight or nine the last time I checked
0: I think I've got eight or nine and I feel like I've got them all
1: they are very much uh easily to find and very noticeable in yeah. the environment they, they flash like, like yeah. you can
0: yeah. I think you're definitely meant to get them
1: all as you say they are collectibles but you're right enough attention's drawn to them and they deliver enough storyline that yeah you would be missing out on some serious character development if you weren't picking these bad boys up
0: well at first i thought it was just fairly random but now that we've sort of got to where we are here it's all starting to come together a bit and i actually think these are key plot points all will be revealed more next week when we finish the game but you know at this point we see dr fontaine and some of his like works and like what he is all about turns out he's not the greatest guy
1: <laughs> understatement of the goddamn year Exactly, sort of willingly
0: letting patients stay sort of comatosed just to keep them off the streets, basically.
1: Encouraging PTSD patients to set fire to houses with families inside. It's all very strange uh, alternative therapeutic approaches.
0: Exactly, very, very odd. And what's more odd and makes a lot more sense now is that throughout these flashbacks, Courtney Sheldon, our prime suspect here, is actually seen going to the good doctor actually getting a job from him um, and working sort of in one of his medical facilities a relationship clearly develops between the two and courtney kind of sees the doctor as a confidant of sorts
1: courtney gets into some trouble with the mobsters and he comes to the doctor for advice and the doctor offers a solution in terms of buying him out of it
0: yeah on that point we also see a flashback of um cohen and courtney in an alleyway I think it's actually meant to be this meeting, right, that we're just pulling up to, but it's not actually explicitly stated. And Jack Kelso is at that meeting acting as like a spokesperson because he's more confident than Courtney, basically. And he's got the gift of the gab
1: and the gift of the guns (laughs)
0: and the gift of the guns. Yeah. And he basically says um, that we're not going to sell any more morphine to you. Like the supplies being cut off, don't come to us again or you have to deal with us and we're all trained Marines. So you wouldn't want to do that. Um, So you're kind of getting to see the background of all of this and you're seeing that uh courtney was in fact the one that masterminded the theft um kelso's kind of leading the resistance against cohen but isn't actually directly involved with the morphine selling he's actually gone completely legit he's got a job and everything like he's he's all good and uh you sort of get introduced to Cohen this way. I think the first time you actually see Cohen is in one of these paper cutscenes. scenes. Mm, yeah. And the final thing that you actually see is something that we're kind of covering more detail in just a moment. But we actually also see some interesting cutscenes with our partner, Roy Earl And, uh... After he's followed us back to Elsa's apartment and taken pictures and that, we actually see a little cutscene that uh, is kind of a spoiler for what we're about to talk about, but it's actually in the game is put at this point before you actually mm, get to this mission. Yeah. You actually see him ratting out Cole for sort of cheating on his wife with Elsa. And it's all done in the guise of there's a current political sto- like storm going on where something's happened and it's an outrage. And it's like, if we report this to the papers, it will take the heat off you basically just showing the corruption in the LAPD. is really, really sort of interesting stuff, considering I thought that these were just random snippets when I first started collecting
1: them. And this is actually one of the main ways that the story is delivered. Exactly. So once that rumour makes its way right to the chief of police, uh, it's crunch time for Cole.
0: Exactly. It all sort of comes to a head. So back to the interview, and Courtney has nowhere to go given all the evidence we have against him at this point. And given what we've just described, we also know that he's the guy because we've seen it before this part in the game takes place. As the interview reaches its close, Courtney tries to make a deal. Surely the confession is coming. However, before a confession can be given, the police chief interrupts the interview saying that Cole is facing disciplinary action and needs to go see the commissioner immediately. During the meeting with the commissioner, it is revealed that Cole is to be suspended pending a fitness review due to pictures they have received of Cole and Elsa's affair. Cole hands in his badge and gun and heads to his house, only to find his wife, Marie Phelps, has packed a suitcase for him and is kicking him out due to his affair. It's all kicked off all of a sudden.
1: Yeah, his life is quite literally falling all down around him.
0: Shell-shocked and dejected, Cole heads to the one place he thinks he can find solace. Elsa's apartment, of course. Not a great (laughs) look, mate. All this drama, just as we were about to crack the case. How will Cole get out of this one and clear his name? Find out next week as we bring this tale to its conclusion. So with that, we do come to the end of completion Corner for this week. And with that, we do come to the end of the show. If you've enjoyed what you've listened to, you can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pod
1: Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcasts on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode.
0: You can also find us on X by searching for at Total Pod Mode, all one
1: word. Or you can find me at Hoodafunk on X, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Hoodafunk.
0: And you can find me on X at MrBames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash mrbames underscore tpm. And listeners, we do have an announcement to end the show with. This is actually going to be the penultimate episode of Total Pod Mode. Next week will be the finale, the finale of LA Noir and the finale of the show.
1: So, tinged with a bit of salmon, perhaps as it may be, we wanted to make sure that we give you guys a bit of a heads up and make sure that we round off our final episode with a bit of a bang.
0: So, yes, so we hope you'll join us next week for our final episode. And until then, take care, everyone. Goodbye. Bye now. <laughs>